0: Hey everybody, thank you for downloading episode 136 of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host as always, Adam, from golfunfiltered.com. You can follow me on Twitter at golfunfiltered. Send me an email, golfunfiltered at gmail.com. You can also find us on Snapchat and Instagram. Well folks, uh, the golf ball debate of is the golf ball flying too far? is a uh, is a popular Twitter topic. It's something that uh, just this morning I was uh, speaking to a few of my uh, favorite Twitter followers about the topic. And uh, a little while ago, I got into a conversation, a little back and forth, with today's guest, Mr. Michael Breed from the Golf Channel and the Golf Fix. You know him uh, very well. He's an extremely well-established golf professional, not only on television, but he also used to be a golf pro at Augusta National Golf Club. So certainly this man is an expert uh, by all means, and uh, he and I went a little back and forth in a respectful way, and so he actually agreed to come on and continue this conversation about whether or not there's a distance problem in golf, uh, specifically related to the golf ball. We've been hearing a lot about what Tiger Woods has said, now with Bridgestone Golf, of course, playing a different golf ball. He is in favor of rolling back a golf ball. Jack Nicklaus, years ago, said the same thing. Both men we touch on a little bit in our conversation, Michael and I do. And, folks, what you're going to hear in this conversation is exactly what I expected from Michael in that, man, this guy knows his stuff. He is a scholar of the game, he studies the game, he researches the history of the game, and you're going to learn a lot in this conversation because certainly I know I did. And just to kind of establish some context around my point of view, I am in favor of bifurcation, in other words, having a different golf ball for the professionals versus the amateurs like you and me, but I got to tell you, in my conversation with Michael and after having it, I'm starting to lean the other way a little bit, which I think any good debate should result in. You know, you hear either side, Michael and I have a great conversation as I mentioned, he educates us on a lot of different things within the game. We touch on golf course architecture. We touch on the history of golf equipment. We even throw in a John Wooden reference. And, of course, when I say we, I mean Mr. Mr. Michael Breed because, uh, man, this guy's just a wealth of knowledge. So many thanks to Michael for coming on to the show. I hope you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. And without further ado, sit back, relax. Here's Mr. Michael Breed from the Golf Channel. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned at the top of the show, very excited to have a man that I've been a fan of for a very long time, and that's Mr. Michael Breed. You know him from the Golf Channel as well as the Golf Fix. Michael, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with us today.
1: Adam, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I've been I've been watching your stuff for a while, too, so it's, uh, it's a mutual admiration going on right now so thanks for having me on
0: I appreciate you saying that and so uh, Michael the reason we wanted to have you on is uh, in the midst of Tiger Woods mania by the way uh, you and I want to get done with this conversation in time so that we can catch a little bit of his second round at the Hero World Challenge first (laughs) and foremost he looked pretty good though yesterday didn't he
1: you know I I listen I think he looked very good and I think for me, the most important part was the health. That's really what I was concerned about. I'm not looking at length of swing. Quite candidly, I, I I expected him to hit some really good shots, and I expected him to hit some really poor shots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm not really I'm not judging this as to what he's going to do. What does this year look like? What I I'm judging this. How's he going to? Can he can he walk? Can he move? Does does he look like he's having fun? Uh, all that passed all my tests. Now, if you get into the the breakdown of how did he look in, in what his golfing experience was like, here's what I would say. What I would say is I was really impressed with his distance. I was impressed with his club head speed. He had one tee shot where he had 180 miles an hour ball speed, which is right around the 120, 122 club head speed, which is certainly uh, adequate. Um, so I think that's great. I think the putter looked good. I think there's some some real questions in the short game. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that – and he made some comments about, you know, this is going to take a little time, blah, 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 Bermuda grass, whatever. And I, I, I'm thrilled to have Tiger out, and I'm a Tiger fan. So I don't want people to think I'm not rooting for Tiger. I am rooting for Tiger, but I also look at it from a standpoint of, okay – this experience of Tiger getting back into golf for me is all about major championships. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, he's got 79 wins on tour. His career is not going to be better because he has, he beat Sam Snead with most wins on tour. Um, I think this is all about majors. And that's what I think that, that he's doing. I think he's coming back for that competition. When I look at this whole thing, you cannot win a major championship with a subpar short game. And, some of the shots that I saw him hit uh, yesterday were subpar in the short game area, two facts. And, and when we last left him, that's what we saw. And, and a lot of people want to go, well, listen, there's rust. Well, maybe there is, maybe that's true. But what I, what I believe is, you know, when Tiger tweets out that he's putting and chipping again, and that's how he started doing what he was doing Mm -hmm. of all the things that he's been doing with his game, the short game has the thing he's is the thing he's been doing the most of so i'm very uh i'm cautiously optimistic mm. is what i would tell you that's I'm a, cautiously optimistic
0: that's a very good way to put it and i agree i mean uh his flubbed chip it, you know it all started on the fourth hole yesterday and then of course he goes and, and why wouldn't tiger woods make a 25 footer off the fringe to save par and give us sure. a fist pump but uh yeah i 100 agree with you michael and one of the things that you mentioned um it was the distance that he showcased, and yes, he was swinging the club pretty well off the tee. He looked like, you know, there's a little stiffer now. I've been saying all along he's got a two by four for a spine now, but he he looked pretty good off the tee. And the reason I wanted to have you on here today, Michael, was to talk about the distance. Uh, the distance yeah. metric that we're all talking about these days in regard to uh, golf balls specifically. And you and I have gone back and forth a little bit on Twitter as well as others this morning. We got it and not you and I, but a few other people got into another conversation about golf ball distance. And so I wanted to ask you, Michael, just flat out to start our conversation today. Do you feel that there's a problem right now with how far the golf ball's flying?
1: No, I don't. And, and I look First of all, it's easy for us to say how far the golf ball is flying. I, I try to say it's distance. Mm-hmm. It's just distance. That's all we're talking about. It's not how far the, the golf ball is flying. It's just distance. And there's a lot of things that make the golf ball go far, right? So if you if you have the time, and I don't know whether you've got the chance to do this or not, but during this week, Golf Channel has played uh, the 1997 Masters that, that uh, Tiger uh, won by a ridiculous – a uh, number of shots and set mm. a record and all that stuff. But there were a couple of things that were obvious to me. One of the things that was obvious was Tiger's uh, swing was well short of parallel. It was inside and across, but it was well short of parallel. That was the first thing that was amazing to me. Cause everybody's saying, well, you know, his, his, his swings gotten short over time. No, actually his swing was short. Then it got long. And now it's sort of back to where it was when he first started playing at age 21. Hmm. The second was, how fast the property was. So let's not forget that. And again, I've had the good fortune of, of playing there uh, many times Mm -hmm. and working there. When, when I was there, that golf ball, man, it bounced around that golf course. It was a firm piece of property and they cut the, the fairways from the tee to the green. So you were always going down grain. The ball was fast. It was, it was very easy to chip and pitch around there. Um, and and now they cut the fairways differently cuz they they know mm-hmm. that when the grain is growing into you the ball doesn't travel as far right it's it's an obvious thing so when you start talking about distance you have to take into account everything right one of the things that you take into to account is the overall weight of the golf club mm. so I have a, I I just did this before we went on, weighed an old McGregor Iomatic driver that I had that had eight degrees of loft on it. Nice. The center of gravity was about a a thumbnail. I mean, it was so close to the front edge of the the face (laughs) because of the inserts and the screws and all the, everything that they had in there. Um, And the idea was that you were going to hit a ball that wasn't going to apex very high. When it got on the ground, it was going to roll forever. That was the idea. Well, you know what? Through time, What we've realized is, okay, let's change some loss, Let's do some stuff to get it up in the air, take some spin out, whatever, right? So we've altered equipment. But the interesting thing to me was the overall weight of that golf club. Mm. That driver was 300, is 385 grams. Then I go and I weigh my my new 917 uh, Titleist driver, and that thing weighs 320 grams, 325 Mm. grams. So you've shaved... What is that? Almost twenty percent of the weight out of the club, and then you've added, while you've taken that weight out, you've added an additional two inches to the to the length of the the shaft of the club, and so we're swinging a lighter object mm-hmm. on a on a bigger diameter in the circle. We're going to hit the ball with a little more loft. We're going to hit the ball farther. Everybody is. It's just the way it is. That's and just So physics. then you go into. It's just the way it is, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't matter what ball. If I went back to the feathery ball and I hit the feathery ball with an Iomatic and I hit the feathery ball with the, the, the 917 at, a, at the weight that it is and at the length that it is, it, it's going to go farther. So the the idea and, – and by the way, that's just part of it. There's a lot of things that make the ball go as far as it's going, including the fact that, you know, in, in 1975, Jack Nicklaus was – Maybe at the height, he was at the the taller end of the guy that was out on tour. Mm-hmm. At least average. Now on tour, the average guy's six foot one wearing a size eleven and a half shoe. Back in nineteen ninety three, the average guy was. Wearing a size nine and a half shoe, we got a better athlete. We've got a taller person. We've got a person that's making a a bigger arc. We know under we understand how to launch the ball in a better in a better window. Justin Thomas, who's not one of the longest hitters out there on tour, he's figured out that if he can launch his his uh, ball at fifteen degrees, he's going to hit it farther than if he launches it at ten. That has zero to do with anything. That's just knowledge. That's understanding. That's what we go through on a daily basis as a coach. So there's a lot of reasons why the ball goes uh, farther. But to me, it's all increased distance. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that do that.
0: There's a lot of good stuff in there, Michael. And I want to break it down just a a little bit further. And so let's start with the, uh, the, the height of the player, for example. And before we got going here, I looked up right now. It's a very early time in the PGA Tour season. Tony Finau is probably a mutant in comparison to some of the other uh, guys out there. He's super tall. He's the leader in driving distance right now, and he's averaging three thirty-six off the tee. And to your point, he's using. Uh, modern equipment. He's using a longer driver than the McGregor that you mentioned that you used years ago. Mm-hmm. And many of us use similar clubs as well. I think I had a Spalding, if I remember correct, <laughs> that I used uh, yeah. growing up. Um, but so you're, to your point, just so I can understand you, you're saying that it's not necessarily the ball that we should be focusing so much on in terms of why people are hitting it so far. It's all the other variables that as a culmination of them, the athleticism, the different technology that the players have in their hands, and they're exuding that pressure onto the golf ball that's making not only the ball maybe fly further, but also roll out longer than just simply focusing on that that little white ball that everyone's chasing around.
1: Look at the agronomy. So I remember having a conversation at Augusta National with Byron Nelson. And Byron Nelson was talking about, he, he actually shared some interesting things. Now this is going back into... 1994, right? And he said to me, he goes, um, the greatest advantage that the modern player ha- now this is 1994, so that's mm-hmm. his modern play right? The greatest advantage that the modern player has now is the 60 degree wedge, because I can hit shots. He goes, I can get to flags that I couldn't get to. I can hit shots that I couldn't hit before, mm-hmm. and that's a huge advantage. That's a bigger advantage than graphite shafts which are a huge advantage because now with a graphite shaft I can lighten it up and I can make it longer. And he then said, which was fascinating and to the point of distance, he said, one of the, our biggest problems was when fairways were cut, they were cut with a five gang mower. And, and when they cut with a five gang mower, not only were they inconsistent in the fairways, in other words, some parts of fairways, we get a fly or lie out of the center of the fairway because of the way the property is the undulation the five gang would go over it and wouldn't trim it down to the, so it was imperfect. Mm -hmm. The other thing was, is that the grass was longer. Every time we went into the fairway, we had to figure out, okay, what kind of lie do I have? Well, if I have longer grass in the fairway, the ball's not going to roll as far. We don't, we don't talk. Nobody's sitting there going, you guys that are doing this, you, 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 you superintendents, you're, you're adding distance to the game. Well, no, we're, we're doing a better job of, cutting the grass lower because now we understand how to get root systems to dig down deeper so that we can cut them lower but still keep them green and that is another big reason why the ball goes farther ball goes farther because of of karsten solheim's initial understanding of perimeter weighting Mm -hmm. and then through time What you see is perimeter weighting is now launching the ball in the air, so now we can take loft off. That's why nobody carries a one-iron anymore, and rarely does somebody have a two-iron. What they have is a three-iron or a four-iron, because the four-iron loft nowadays was a Mm two-iron. They have pitching wedges. When I grew up, when I was playing, my pitching wedge had a loft of 50 degrees. Now my pitching wedge has a loft of 44. Mm -hmm. Callaway's got – I mean – So now I'm hitting my pitching wedge the same distance that I uh, I used to hit my pitching wedge. And so what do we think? We think in our brain, well, I'm hitting my pitching wedge just as far as I used to hit it. No, actually, you've just changed your pitching wedge. You have P on the bottom, but it's really an 8-iron. Right. So you're hitting your – right? Right. Okay. So now the ball's going to go far. There's a whole bunch of – one of the the most popular wedges for Titleist was the gap wedge, the Mm -hmm. 50 to 52 degree degree wedge because of right 48 because the pitching wedge loft has changed there's a whole lot of reasons why the golf ball is going for the lightness of the shaft if it's a lighter shaft i can swing it faster taking a a, an s500 or an x100 shaft and now compare that to, to what you're seeing we've got players I remember Boo Weekly was, was playing a 40-gram driver shaft
0: for, one, for a period of time. <laughs> Super light. Right. It's laughable. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, honestly, what happens for me, when I hear people start talking about the ball going too far, and, and I, I'm not trying to offend anybody by this statement, sure. but it's just a statement of ignorance. Mm. When all you say is that the ball is going too far, yet distances have gone up. There's no doubt. Distances have have gone up, but it's a culmination of a whole variety of things, and the golf ball is simply one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Do Do you feel that all good points? I totally agree, especially with the, uh, the the loft argument. I mean. I'm playing a pitching wedge now to your point that I believe is I think that 46 degrees. And when I grew yeah. up, i I was using darn near a 49 degree pitching wedge. And so that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it really is when you're talking about launch angles and all the points that you just brought up. But I want to get back you to bet. something else that you mentioned regarding, uh, tiger. Obviously it's a very timely topic. He's the guy that everyone's paying attention yep. to right now, but you were in a unique position where you did work at Augusta national and, uh, That's a prime example that perhaps those who are in favor of bifurcation, uh, rolling back a golf ball, maybe having a second uh, pro-only golf ball option, they point to the fact that courses like Augusta National at one point went to the tiger-proofing, quote-unquote. And if what you say is true, and I'm not saying that it's not or isn't, you bring up a lot of great facts... The fact of the matter is also that these golf courses are being stretched out. At Aaron Hills, we almost saw an 8,000-yard U.S. Open, for example. The golf courses are being cut lower. All the technological advancements are in the players' hands. If it's just a matter of making golf courses grass longer so that it plays shorter and we have less rollout, why are... Why is there a real estate issue that even Tiger himself, most recently playing a different golf ball, playing a Bridgestone golf ball, himself uh, referenced in a recent interview?
1: Okay, so wonderful, wonderful uh, point you bring up. So let's let's just let's first of all understand golf course architecture. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I don't know I don't know the level to your understanding of golf course architecture, so I'll be a little bit more long-winded here sure back when golf first started the teeing ground the rule was that you teed the ball up or the teeing ground was within uh i think it was two club lengths of the hole that you previously played in fact the hole the cup itself Mm. you teed off within that space okay Mm -hmm. and then when they realized over time that that was doing really poor things to the green then they shifted the teeing area just away from that, from that putting surface, okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people played. And then what happened was all of a sudden professionals started to come into the game. This is in the late 1800s. You're dealing with uh, caddies that were considered to be professionals. Architects were considered to be professionals. In fact, CB McDonald went through a real difficult time because they thought he could only be a professional, not an amateur, even though all he did was design golf courses. Right. Right. But, so what ends up happening there is they go, well, we need to have another tee for professionals. And so they, they move the tee back. Now, do you know how they, do you know their mindset on why they put tees into certain locations? The reason why they moved the professional tees back away from the amateur tees, the distance that they moved it was they were trying to get all tee shots to end up roughly in the same spot. Right. So if you hit a 220-yard tee shot and I hit a 250-yard tee shot, that my tee should be 30 yards behind your tee. Mm -hmm. So if we played a – I'll just make up a number. Let's say we played a 400-yard hole. You hit a 220-yard tee shot, so you have 180 in. I hit a 250-yard tee shot, so I'm going to move my 400-yard hole back to 430, so I now have a 180-yard shot coming into the
0: green, right? Makes sense. Now,
1: okay, except logic is, well, if you only hit your driver 220 and I hit my driver 250, then my 7-iron is probably going to go farther than your 7-iron. So if I'm out at 180... I'm probably hitting a 5-iron at 180, and you're probably hitting a 4-iron, possibly even a 3-iron at 180.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, take that and stretch that all along the line, and now take a woman and move her up so she's hitting it to 180. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of golf course architects, quite candidly, particularly those back in 1900 or 18-whatever, it's a flawed concept. And and the concept is flawed because if Dustin Johnson hits a shot from 180 and I hit a shot from 180 and you hit a shot from 180 and my wife hits a shot from 180, we are all going to hit a different golf club. And Dustin Johnson, who's hitting his eight iron from 180, and I'm hitting my five iron from 180, and my wife is hitting her three wood from 180, well, guess what? Dustin Johnson has a huge advantage because that loft on the club, once you start getting more loft on the club, you create more underspin or backspin and less sidespin. And by definition, you will be more accurate.
0: Mm-hmm. That's just so um... all of a
1: sudden. It's just the way it is. Yeah, that is. So, so, so that's the first thing I think architects and I've spoken to the golf course architects back in 2009. I sat down in front of, All of them. Pete Dye, uh, Jackie Nicholas Jr., all of them. Mark McCumber. And I said, here's the deal. You guys are working with a flawed concept. Because the game of golf is really a game of par three. That's it. Hmm. It's how, how many par threes you play and how far the par three is. You can equate that absolutely to scoring average. So, Uh, I think it was Justin Thomas shot 59, Mm -hmm. right? Right. A while ago. And I went out, I think it was in Hawaii at the start of the year. Right. Right. And I took, I, I went through the whole thing, added up how many par threes he played. He played 18 par threes. And then I figured out what his average length par three was. And his average length par three was 105 yards. So 105 yard par three, a PGA tour player playing 18, 105 yard holes, should make a pile of birdies that should happen Agreed. now go go take a guy that that just take any score you want to do it you can do it yourself just go through shot link figure out okay were they in the fairway were they in the rough cuz that has a that has a value and then how many, how many par threes did they end up getting to play? In other words, if they drove it into a water hazard or out of bounds, they don't get to play a par three. Mm-hmm. And what you're going to find is when the number of par threes that they play is under 18, 16, 14, 12, whatever, and when the average of those par threes is at 150 or greater, they're going to shoot a higher score than a guy that plays a lot of par threes and his average is 105. And so if you understand that, then the game of golf, simply put, is all about clubhead speed. If I take a hundred and ten mile an hour clubhead speed guy, that guy should be on the tee. Whether man or woman, that person should be on the one hundred and ten mile an hour tee. And the eighty mile an hour T should be on the eighty mile an hour I mean the eighty mile an hour clubhead speed should be on the eighty mile an hour T. Hmm. And when you do that, now everybody's going to end up playing a similar approach shot by club selection into the green. Now, what we all know is greater club head speed is going to create a higher apex. Greater club head speed is going to create more, uh, more backspin. And as a result, they're going to be able to hit the ball a little bit closer to the hole than somebody that doesn't quite have that club head speed. But if both of them are hitting a six iron or relatively similar club, six iron, seven iron, what we end up getting is we're going to end up getting a similar experience, not the same, but certainly a better experience rather than having one person hitting a six iron and another person hitting a three wood or, or worse yet not being able to reach the green. And so when I hear this argument of, well, 8,000, this, and it's too much, that's all a bunch of, you know, what Hmm. it's basically, what we're doing is we're jumping into a, a situation where the people that were designing golf courses and all we're arguing for, by the way, is, We're arguing for initially protecting the Marians of the world. Right. Right. That's what we're arguing for. We're arguing for the golf courses that are the iconic golf courses in our country. And the truth of the matter is, is that those golf courses were designed with what I think is a flawed concept, all based on the teeing ground. Hmm. Now,
0: here's my analogy. Do you ski or have you ever skied? I have not. My knees would explode, but I have friends who do it quite often. (laughs)
1: Okay, now, take your friend who goes to go skiing. Does that individual ski the female slopes or the male slopes? Male. Well, there are none. There are no male slopes and there are no female (laughs) slopes. Exactly. They go by a diamond system, don't they? They go by a diamond system. And when you go out onto a double black diamond, you got a lot of really talented skiers. And when you go to a a single blue diamond, not so good. Mm -hmm. And if we went to a teeing system that was not gender-based, but rather club head speed based, it would be a correct system. Now I'll give you one final thing. My brother who's older than me and not, he's a very good golfer, but doesn't have high club head speed. His club head speeds at about 90 miles an hour. He had a daughter or has a daughter who I had the privilege of coaching. Very, very talented. Went to the university of Richmond to play Mm -hmm she had clubhead speeds that was about 100 miles an hour. So she had 10-mile-an-hour clubhead speed faster than her dad. And yet her dad was playing the blue tees, and she was playing the red tees. And so when she teed off, she hit her golf ball, A, farther than than he hit his golf ball because she had greater clubhead speed, and B, she had a major first-down advantage. Mm -hmm. And she shot lower scores than he did. It's a very, very simple concept. And so for me, this idea of arguing into, well, let's protect this, we're we're not paying attention to what's really important. And what's really important is this game is about clubhead speed. Ultimately, the game's about clubhead speed. And so what are we doing to protect the clubhead speed? How are we we being able to, well, you know what? Take a tee and stick a tee back a little bit farther. Now, the last thing to the dollars, Mm -hmm. because that's really where you get into, hey, it's more expensive. Okay. I'm standing in a room right now that's probably 120 square feet and it's 12 feet going across and it's 10 feet going another way. And I can put a tee box. I can take that 120 square feet and I can stick that thing anywhere. And guess what? You know what it costs to to, to cut that? Nothing. It costs $0. <laughs> right. so, for me, the upkeep and the money thing—that's that's another one of those. Uh, you know what? Everybody said it, and it seems to sound and make sense. No, it's ludicrous.
0: Well, the the course architecture argument is an interesting one, and I and I appreciate you laying it out that way. Uh, it's it's important to understand how courses were designed and how they're being designed now, and. You know, I've I've heard through conversations as well as people that uh, have reached out to me that even the way that uh, architects are working has changed, where in the past they may have, to your point, Michael, wanted everyone to kind of land in the same collective landing area. Now they've had to push that landing area forward a little bit more because people, for all the reasons that you've described, for athleticism, for technology advancements, people have ball launch monitors now. They know how far or how high they need to launch a ball they have to move the bunkers, for example, out a little bit further in order to make it a competitive golf course. Now, everything that you mentioned is absolutely true for golfers of any skill level, but in regard to the professional level, where you know, years ago, I believe maybe over ten years ago, even Jack Nicholas was was calling for uh, a rollback of the golf ball. I am not so naive to think that obviously there's. There's marketing involved in all of this. At the, Around the same time, Mr. Nicholas was just about to release his own line of golf balls. Let's just call it what it is. Tiger Woods is out talking about rolling the golf ball back as well. He just jumped to a new sponsor. He's playing a different golf ball. I'm not asking you to get into a, a brand debate here by any means. People know that you're a Titleist guy. And one of the most outspoken yep. people that uh, have come out recently in response to this debate has been Mr. Uline from Titleist. I guess my whole point yep. is... We are dealing with two different worlds of golfers here between the professional ranks and the amateurs. I'm never going to play Marion. Maybe I will. I don't know if my lucky stars one day I get to, <laughs> but we are dealing with two different worlds here. And, and let's be honest, Michael. I mean, the the professionals aren't playing the same game that you and I are playing. Uh, but Okay. So let me ask you this. Is that bad?
1: Oh, no, not at all. The, the, Tom Brady throws a football farther than you throw a football and LeBron James can, can dunk. And I can't, is that bad? It's see, it's this whole idea that. Okay. So why do we view, why do we take the most elite at anything, admire their skill and then go, you know what? These guys are too good at this. These guys are, they're they're too good. We got to make them worse. You know what happened in baseball? In baseball, when baseball first started, the the fences, go back to the polo grounds, the fences were out 450, 460 feet. Mm-hmm. And you know what they did? They went, hey, offense sells our game. Home runs are offense. Why don't we move the fences in? Mm-hmm. And they moved the fences in. And all of a sudden, home runs. People started hitting more home runs. And people started going to the game more. See, this whole idea... To me and I'll get to the i get to this this bifurcation conversation that you're having. First of all, I I, I look at I, I I come at things from a probably a little bit of a different landscape. One, if you said to a PGA tour player, Do you think the ball going is going too far, mm-hmm. you might get yeah or no, but I don't really care doesn't really make a difference the only time anybody really cares about how far the ball goes is quite typically when they get to their 40s the only you didn't hear jack nicholas at 23 go you know what the ball's going too far fair point or tiger woods the ball's going too far but all of a sudden now the ball's going too far that's the first thing second thing is both those guys are golf course architects (laughs) ball's going too far
0: that's a good point
1: okay okay so so that's the first that's my first sort of step into this platform I look at this thing and I go, okay. Let's just say that the ball is going too far. Let's let's take the ball is going too far.
0: Okay.
1: Does that does that change the nature of golf? What's the nature of golf? If you and I go out to go play and we make a bet, our bet is that you're going to shoot a lower score than me or that I'm going to shoot a lower score than you. Right. Not how many you don't get rewarded for hitting more wedges into a into a green than I get, it's who shoots the lowest score. And that's what the game has, that's the game. It's never going to change. If you go back in time, here's mastering the obvious, go back in time, and here's what I can tell you about the winner of every event. The winner of every event had the lowest score. The winner of every event has the lowest score. Who cares? You know who cares? You know who cares about all this? Golf course architects they care
0: and equipment manufacturers. i don't care
1: well equipment manufacturers aren't afraid that the ball goes too far manufacturers aren't, aren't everybody's talking about distance we mm. want more distance what do car dealers sell go to uh, audi what do they tell you we can go from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds and you go man this has great pickup meanwhile there's a thing on the side of the road that says 25 miles an hour speed limit Nobody says to anybody, hey, the cars are going too fast now. Our cars go too fast nowadays. Mm-hmm. These are crazy conversations.
0: It's, it's interesting I, points I, you're bringing I, up. I, yeah. It, you know, the, the car example is a really good one, and, and not to go too far you know, off topic, but everything's got specifications. Any, any industry that makes a product has standards that they have to adhere to and golf yep. is certainly no different from that and the equipment as you know the people that listen to this uh podcast we love equipment and the USGA is one of the biggest uh enforcers of, or if not the biggest enforcer of how our equipment should play and not to add on to the to the counter argument here Michael but even Mike Davis no, earlier go. in the year even in Mike Davis earlier in the year said you know what maybe there is something that we have to take a look at in terms of the distances that that golf balls are flying, and and it's not necessarily specific to the golf ball itself, but the fact of the matter is, people are asking the question, and and to the point that you're raising, maybe we're asking the wrong question.
1: Well, here's what I would say. What I would say is, if we're really going to roll back distance, if that's our goal, to roll back distance, then what we have to do is we have to roll back everything. Hmm. We have to roll back. We have to grow grass longer. Can't be shorter. It's got to be longer. We have to soften fairways. Can't be firm. Has to be soft. We have to make sure that equipment is heavier. So we gotta we gotta make sure that the lightest shaft that you can play with is 150 gram. I don't care what you can lift. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how strong you are. 150 gram shaft. That's it. We can't have club fitting. Club fitting has to get washed out right away because mm-hmm. what we've known is is that people load shafts differently and they, they uh, flex a shaft differently, and they uh, can move certain shafts in a better way and take a spin out different Can't do any of that, so club fitting out of the game. There will be no more club fitting anymore, and let's do all of it at the same time. And what do you think is going to happen to the game? Do you think people are going to run to the game or are they going to run from it? Run well, we all it. know they're going to run from it. Right. Absolutely. Second thing is this. Sit every single tour pro down, and put them in a room and go, here's the deal. This is what we're going to do. We're going to roll back everything. And as a result of rolling back everything, there's not going to be an advantage to you playing a certain ball or a certain club or a certain everything. And so what's going to end up happening is all the millions of dollars that are being dumped into the PGA LPGA professional tours, not just individually, not the, the $20 million a year that Nike paid Rory McIlroy, or the whatever millions of dollars that whoever is getting paid to play a ball or to play a club or to play whatever. We're going to take all that out of the game. But also, we're not going to do any advertising during the PGA Tour programs. So we're not going to get any advertisement dollars, which means your purses are going to go down. So let's take all of that, because that will happen. Mm -hmm. Because now all of a sudden there's no better. There's no best. There's no number one. There's no play the best ball in the game, play Titleist. There's none of that. We remove all of it. And then and see if the PGA Tour pros want to do that. And I guarantee you everyone will go, wait a second. You're telling me that when I win, I'm only going to get $35,000 for winning? And if I miss the cut, I don't make anything? And it costs me still five, 000, six, 000, eight thousand dollars $8,000 a week to play, and I get $0? There's no sponsorship dollars that are going into that? And if I make the cut, I make 250 bucks and see if they stand in that line.
0: And so all great arguments there. I mean, it, you're right. If if all of these sponsorship dollars leave the events, if if everything that you mentioned occurs, everything else that you mentioned the the, the repercussions of those actions would also occur. I agree with you there. The Absolutely. The the question I have in in regard to then what you and I both agree on is the fact that distances are increasing. We, we opened this conversation yep. with that. We both agree on that. That's just in, irrefutable. Is this then Correct. just the natural progression of this sport? We see it in any other sport that we can tell. I mean, basketball, I'm a huge basketball fan, baseball, to your point, you had you had talked about how players are just, their statistics have gone through the roof same at basketball, is this just the natural progression of the sport? And it's just the way it's going to be.
1: Well, here's what I let, let's, and, and by the way, Adam, I'm not kidding. You. I, I am. I'm enjoying this conversation. I love this conversation. As am I. Here's what I would say to you. You probably wake up every day. If you're like me, which I, I think you are and you want to be better than you were yesterday. Correct. Improvement. For successful people, is a necessary ingredient, ingredient to life. Now, I wouldn't say this is just a natural evolution to golf. I think it's a natural evolution to everything. Hmm. Look at everything. Boats are better. Planes are better. Cars are better. Baseball bats are better. Golf clubs are better. Everything's better. And do you know that people don't work for money? They get paid money to work, but that's not what motivates them. What motivates them is aspiration for improvement. So if I take somebody and I go, here's what I want you to do. I want you to figure out a better way to make a ball fly. You're the dimple guy. You're not the guy making all the the stuff in it. Hmm. Your responsibility is to just get the dimple pattern so that it's a more productive dimple pattern. And that guy sits there and goes, man, I figured it out. Here's the dimple pattern. Now imagine taking that away from everybody. Do you know what happens? Work ethic goes down. Mm. And all of a sudden we start making worse products and everything. And so for me, the natural evolution of I want to be a better dad tomorrow than I am today. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better golf professional. I want to be a better friend. I want to be better at everything. And the natural evolution of life is to improve. Right, You sit down at the end of any – take any business company. Take Golf Channel. They sit down at the end of the year and they go, okay, here's what we did. We did really good here, 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 here. Here's where we're weak. What are we going to do? Take Tiger Woods, first year out on tour. He went through all of his statistics and went, you know what? My bunker play is not very good. i got to improve it. Imagine if you said to Tiger, listen, Tiger, here's the deal. You can practice anything you want, but you can't practice your bunker play. No going into a bunker. But that's what I need to do to get better. Sorry. We're not letting you get better today. You can't do that. Fair point. Fair That's, point. So, so to me, where we are is because of what's in our soul to improve. And instead of a, a, a applauding it, we are saying, this is this is awful. We've gotten better. Mm. This is terrible. Agronomy's gotten better. You're bad. Golf clubs are getting better. Stop it. Balls are better. Would you please refrain from such activity? It's an insane argument. Drives me nuts. We've improved. Let's applaud it. By the way, people come to me, they want to solve three issues. A, I want to get more consistent. B, I want to get rid of my slice. C, I want to hit the ball farther. Hmm. Now, that's what they're doing. I want to hit the ball farther. And hitting the ball farther is something that they're asking to do. And every manufacturer is going, okay, well let's figure out how to get how to get greater distance. Everybody's asking for it. Grip manufacturers are are trying to figure out how they can make a grip that's a little bit lighter. How I can build a shaft that's a little bit softer, Mm -hmm. make it firm in the tip but but launch it differently. Like everybody's trying to chase it. And we've done it. It's great. The human brain is an amazing instrument. It's been successful. And we want to come out and go, you guys are doing too you're doing too good of a job. We don't want that anymore.
0: well, a wise man once said, the only thing that's for certain is change, and that's certainly what uh we're experiencing with golf these days and you know i've I've benefited from the advancements in technology. Michael, you raised some really strong counter arguments uh, as you know, I am a supporter of bifurcation, but I gotta say you've convinced me on a few on a few points there. And uh ladies and gentlemen, as you know, that's Mr. Michael Breed. You know him from the golf fix and <laughs> from golf channel. Michael, uh I got a feeling that you and I can't solve this issue. I think this has been I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I have too. This is something that I think uh we may have to talk about more in the future if you're up for it.
1: Anytime. Here's what I'll, I'll leave you with with two two other thoughts. A bifurcation already exists in the game. 13% of the people that play the game of golf have a handicap, which means 87% of the people that play the game don't have a handicap. And by definition of them not having a handicap, they are playing by their own rules. Second is, is that most people don't know the rules of golf. Mm -hmm. So by definition, there's bifurcation in that. Okay. So we have bifurcation in the game. So I don't think that we need to worry about that. The other thing I want to I want to leave you with is this. It's a very interesting thing and insightful. You're aware of John Wood, the uh, Hall of Fame basketball coach for, for UCLA. Absolutely. And there was a time in basketball where they were talking about dunking, taking over the game. And they had a big, huge conversation about the height of the rim. The height of the rim sits at 10 feet. And they started wondering, should we change the height of the rim? So they got all the – brightest minds in basketball into a, uh, into a room in a meeting. Wooden was in there, all of them and they're all standing up. And one person says, we need to raise the rim because dunking is part of the game. We don't want to lose the importance of the, the outside shot. So, okay, well let's add a three point. Okay. Three points. That'll be great. That'll force them. give Give them an extra point if they make this shot so we can keep outside shooting in the game. That's a really important thing, but still dunking is a big part of the game, right? So, we we need to take it out and let's raise the rim to 11. And then one guy went, oh, let's raise it to 12. we got it. And and then another person goes, well, it doesn't matter at 11 or 12. You know, people are going to end up getting so tall, they're going to be able to dunk on anything. Mm. And this conversation is going in this room for over an hour. And John Wooden hasn't said a word. And finally the guy who's leading this whole thing goes, coach, we haven't heard from you. And, and he said, yeah, well, okay. So, You want to know my thoughts? And the guy goes, yeah, and they all turn around. Now, John Wooden's going to talk. It's kind of like Butch Harmon sitting in a room and talking. Most people are going to listen, right? Right. So here goes Wooden. And Wooden says, here's the deal. You're worrying about dunking being a part of the game. A, it's the part of the game that people love to see. It's the energetic part of the game, dunking. That's going to sell our game. So that's a good thing. Second, if you want to take dunking, if you really want to make dunking just a normal thing, then don't raise the rim to 11, lower it to nine. And when you lower it to nine feet, everybody can dunk. And when everybody can dunk, that'll be normal. It won't be such a big deal. And then they'll figure out how to do whatever. You put that three-point line in there, and you're going to be fine. And everybody looked at him, they, they went, that's the wisest thing we've ever heard. They basically said, okay, we're going to leave the rim at 10 feet, and it's never been brought up again. Hmm. And that's the wisdom of John Wooden, who was meticulous. If you know Wooden, he was meticulous. In everything he did, every minute of every practice was scripted. Guy was phenomenal and well thought of and a big thinker guy that was always thinking at the next level. And that's what he said. I think we're in the exact same spot. We're OK. We're OK. It's fun to talk about it. It's great banner, but we're OK.
0: You know, I, I I knew when I asked if you'd come on, you would be a fantastic person to talk about this topic with, and you did not disappoint. <laughs> you've you've made some great points, Michael, and you know I I'm just hoping that the listeners uh, who hear this uh, understand that yeah, you and I were just having a conversation, and you know the points yep. on both sides uh, certainly have merit, but you know, Michael, I gotta admit, you you've drawn out. Some great examples that you know made it's going to make me think twice about my stance on this. And listeners, I hope it makes you think twice as well on this topic. Michael, once again, you know, very generous of your time today. Let's sit back and watch some uh, some great golf from one of the legends in the game playing on a course today.
1: I look forward to it. And Adam, I appreciate all your talent, your hard work, and and your love for the game of golf. Ultimately, what this whole thing boils down to is. We all love this game so much, and we're all thinking about it all the time. And you know what? There is nothing wrong with that at all. And by the way, it can be done in a respectful manner, and that's the thing that I, that I try to make sure people understand. You can, you can be open-minded, listen to what people have to say, and, and be very uh, respectful for it, and, and you do that very well. And, and I, I want you to know I'm, I'm pleased and honored to be on it, and anytime you want me, uh, just let me know. We'd love to come back on